Welcome to the weekly news roundup episode of Talk Flagler, the first episode in the uh, weekly edition of the podcast. Uh, I am your host, Chris Gollin. I am the chief political and cultural writer for Ask Flagler. And uh, we got a great show today. We got a, a lot of big news stories here in the county in the last week. And uh, stay tuned because at the end of the episode, we have an interview with Flagler County Emergency Management Director. Jonathan Lord. It was great having Jonathan on the show, and I think you guys are going to love this interview a lot. So uh, let's hop into the news. Number one, we're going to do a little weather forecast for the next week. Uh, Today, Monday the 28th, uh, we have a high of 85 and a low of 74. uh, Expected scattered thunderstorms, and we can expect that to be a pattern that for the most part keeps up throughout the week. Um, Getting all the way to Sunday, the highs are going to stay in the mid-80s, just about. The lows are going to stay in the low 70s. And the chance of rain is going to hover in the 30s and the 40s. So we can expect a bit of a rainy week, a little, you know, a little cloudy. So, you know, you got anything you need to get done outdoors, maybe consider doing that in the morning uh, before the rain tends to start a lot of the time. So that's what we're looking at there. And uh, so, yeah, let's get into our, our news stories from the week. Um, first up in the government and business section, uh, the Mosquito Control Board um, of Flagler County, the East Flagler Mosquito Control District, approved plans uh, a week ago today, this past Monday, to expand their coverage over the whole entire Flagler County. So the, the board voted three to nothing to launch this project. It's going to take about three to five years to expand, um, expand their coverage like that. But uh, they have an event coming up on August 4th at 6 p.m. It's going to be at, um, in the airport hangar near the Mosquito headquarters, the Flagler Executive Airport. So if you want to hear more about this operation, about their expansion, get to talk to some of the commissioners, I would definitely make a point to attend that meeting. Uh, let's see here. So on June 18th, we published a story. Flagler County's county officials have advised the Department of Transportation to begin work Monday on A1A. So that's going to be, let's see, by then, that will have probably already gotten going, I guess, at the time of this episode. So they're going to be working on A1A a little bit. We're going to see some detours. Uh, nothing Flagler Beach residents are not already used to in stuff like hurricane repair. So uh, be prepared, have alternate routes uh, to get where you need to go. Uh, phase one, they're going to be detouring at South 17th, 17th Street, northbound A1A is going to be going there. And uh, yeah, they're going to have some other other detours going on as that operation continues. Uh, let's see. Jerry Cameron, county administrator for the for Fiverr County, uh, will be bidding farewell to the seat at the most recent county commission meeting. Uh, the the ad- administrators, they decided on Heidi Petito will be the next, the, the interim administrator. Uh, for the time being. And what's significant about that is she is the first woman to serve in the role of county administrator since the county was incorporated. 
and Flagler County, I forgot the number off the top of my head. I think it's, I think it was 1917, if I'm not mistaken, but Flagler County is over hundred years old. First time this is happening. So that's definitely uh, a significant development for Flagler County. Uh, meanwhile, at the Palm Coast government level, the city council at their most recent meeting, uh, there was a measure brought up to send a letter of support to the county approving a half cent public sales tax. Uh, and that it, a public safety tax, I should say, sorry, but it is a sales tax and it, it, it was, it is to be used to fund police departments, fire departments, our first responders. And a measure came up for Palm Coast to support the county in potentially approving this tax. Uh, there was, there was considerable debate, uh, particularly council members, Nick Klufus and Ed Danko had some disagreements about whether or not they thought the tax was going to be a good idea. The measure to support the tax ultimately did fail two to two because in the Palm Coast City Council, anything needs three votes to pass. And since we're without a mayor at the moment, it is there's only four votes. It needed three. It got two. Also in Palm Coast City Government, Brad West has resigned as the senior communications officer. Um, it is now known he has another position that he has accepted. Uh, Flyra Beach City Commission Mayor Susie Johnston uh, issued a couple of declarations at this most recent meeting. Number one, to observe Juneteenth, recently made a federal holiday at the, nas- at the national level, at the federal level. Um, Mayor Johnston did a proclamation acknowledging that. And they declared June 24th, Rosanna Vinci Day in Flagler Beach. Detective Rosanna Vinci was recently honored at the statewide level with the Lee McGeehee Award with the Florida Police Chiefs Association. So we're all very proud of her here in Flagler County. Also in Flagler Beach, the Stone Fountain in Veterans Park has been toppled and broken. I actually saw that myself. I was speaking outside of the meeting with Mayor Johnston and City Commissioner Eric Cooley and the City Clerk, Penny Overstreet, noticed it and she alerted us and we found out that the fountain had been toppled and broken. It will need to be replaced. That will likely be a few thousand dollars. Moving on to the culture section of today's show. Thrills Music Fest has been postponed from June 26th to September 4th. Due to weather concerns, the festival is scheduled to take place in Benel at the fairgrounds. They have decided to push that off a little bit to shoot for a day with a better weather forecast. Also in culture, there is a petition to name a one of our lovely hiking trails after Miss Shirley Chisholm and install a plaque at the entrance there. Who is Shirley Chisholm? She was the first African-American woman elected to Congress. She was also the first African-American person of either gender, either sex, to run for president. She lived in Flagler County for much at the end of her life over in Halifax Plantation, and she passed away in Orm Beach in 2005. Uh, Also in culture, Freedom Fest is coming up July 3rd. Don't miss it. It's going to be at the airport. Um, It's going to be July 3rd, so it's not going to be on the 4th. It's going to be on the 3rd. There's going to be a lot of really patriotic celebrations there. The community is going to come together. It is bound to be a great 
time. Moving on to the crime and sheriff portion, the Flagler County Sheriff's Office recently saved a juvenile from a very scary situation on the uh, overpass. So what happened there is the sheriff's office responded to a call that a juvenile uh, was threatening self-harm and was stationed at that, that overpass. But our first responders did an incredible job. They got in there, they negotiated with the person who was clearly going through a very, very mentally taxing crisis. They got her down. They saved her life. And uh, yeah, a lot to be thankful for in our first responders for that one. Um, also in crime, more good news. Flagler County crime is down. We are the leading county in the state of Florida for crime reduction. This is in the 2020 annual uniform crime report, which was issued by the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, the FDLE. Uh, quote from Sheriff Rick Staley on the, the honor. He said, Reports like this one show that our crime reduction strategies work. Total crime in Flagler County is down 47% since I became your sheriff in 2017 because I implemented uh, a number of new and successful initiatives. So Rick Staley, very proud of the job that our law enforcement is doing here in Flagler County. Now, moving on to the mayoral election portion of the news. I don't know if you guys are following it, but um, Doug Courtney one of six candidates in the race, one of two Democrats. Uh, recently, we got his mayoral interview up on askflagler.com. Um, check in now. You can read what Dr. Doug Courtney has to say on some of the um, some of the issues that are concerning Palm Coast residents most. Uh, we talked to him about some, some streets that are causing problems in and around Flagler, or in Palm Coast, I should say. We asked him about the racket center that was approved before Mayor Holland's resignation, if he'd be willing to revisit that or if he, if he had any intention of doing so. We asked him about impact fees. We asked him about code enforcement, a variety of topics. You want to see what Doug Courtney thinks about it? Go to askflagler.com. Go under the mayoral election section. Didn't mean it rhyme there. But go under that section of the website. You can read everything Dr. Courtney has to say. And stay tuned. We're going to have other candidates on here. Uh, we're expecting answers in the near future from Alan Lowe, Cornelia Manfrey, David Alfin. Uh, we're going to have, ideally, we're going to get all six candidates up there, have their responses up by election day. Fingers crossed. But we're going to continue to be the most comprehensive and detailed coverage of this election in Palm Coast. Also in the mayoral election, uh, there was recently two candidate forums here in Palm Coast. The first was at the Hilton, Hilton Garden Inn off of State Road 100. It was held by the Flagler County Grand Order of the Pachyderms, which is a prominent uh, conservative club here in Flagler County. But they hosted a forum and they invited um, all the candidates, Republican or Democrat, the turnout wound up being Alan Lowe, Cornelia Manfrey, Doug Courtney, and Carol, Mother Elizabeth Baca. And the four of them sat down. They took questions. It was moderated by Bunnell Mayor Katherine Robinson. 
and it was a great event to learn more about what candidates thought of the issues and mingle with them. There was another forum at the Flagler Tiger Bay Club in the Palm Coast Community Center. Uh, that one went a little bit longer, I would say. It was a couple hours. Um, this time, Alan Lowe was not in attendance, and uh, David Alphen was. So you had four candidates still. Um, Kathy Ostrino was not at either event. She did take to social media to explain she had prior obligations. But uh, yeah, we're having a lot of good, um, a lot of good venues for Palm Coast residents to meet the people uh, who might become their next mayor, to pick their brain, to vet them on what they think of the issues. So stay tuned for more events like that, and make sure you're on askflagler.com, Flagler's unbiased news source, to hear the news about the election with no spin. Coming up next is our interview with Flagler County Emergency Management Director, Jonathan Lord. So stick around for the latest on how you can stay prepared for different disasters during uh, this hurricane season. You can stay prepared for wildfires and maybe even the odd blizzard. We touch on that a little bit too. Stay tuned. Thank you for coming in. Thank, thank you for you, having me. Thank you for being the guest on the first weekly edition of Talk Flagler. Oh, I get to be the first. The first. We've had other episodes of like the whole, it was just one big long interview. This is the first one we're doing is like a weekly news segment now. So Excellent. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Jonathan Lord, Emergency Management Director of Flagler County. And uh, so how did we ever manage to get through COVID-19 in Flagler County? I, it was all about community teamwork. It really, you know, we started looking at COVID-19 when we first started hitting the news a little after Christmas of last year. Wow. And we actually, we had a little working group. We got together before when the first couple cases hit the, were announced on the West coast of the U S we actually had a little working group that we put together that included a lot of our disaster partners and a lot, a very health centric um, with the Advent health team and the health department and the um, emergency medical services folks from the fire department. And so we really had a lot of good talks about that. And, and at the time we were just, we were just going to start meeting, you know, every other week, I think we thought about just, just to talk about it, we're like, everyone said it wasn't really coming, but we just wanted to be prepared anyway. Mm-hmm. So, so we were, I think we might've been a little ahead of the game when it comes to a lot of local governments, especially on that were not on the West coast of the U S and then, you know, eventually it came here and, you know, we had to kind of things spiraled and the fact that we already had our team together. And I think a lot of it was because unfortunately we have disasters, we have hurricanes, we, we have tornadoes that hit, and these are the same partners we work with on a regular basis. So we kind of just evolved into our normal disaster routine. Again, this is a disaster we haven't dealt with before, but we kind of evolved into that routine and our community, I think, all came together. You know, the people disagreed with some of the decisions that had to be made by the government, but we made the best decisions with the information we had at the time. Yeah, that is, that's crazy that you guys were on the ball that early because I remember the first day, I remember the first time I heard about the COVID-19 and it was, it was on my birthday, which is in January. Yep. A little bit after you guys had apparently started planning on it. I hadn't even heard of it until this point. I remember because it was my birthday and I was actually drinking a Corona at the time. <laughs> Believe it or not, you can't can't script that one. Go figure. Yeah. But uh, here we are almost out of the woods, I'd say. I, I, and you never want to say we're completely out of it because it's still possible to, to wind up with the yeah. case of it. But, you know, I, I'd say Flagler County made it through pretty 
pretty darn good considering other areas of the state of the country. Yeah, I am so proud of our, just our team, our, our entire community. In general, there were a few weeks where this didn't apply, but in general, we have had the lowest case rate. The case rates measured, just so it's applied equally across the whole, every community in the entire nation, case rates measured by um, number of cases per 100,000. Mm-hmm. And we, we have been able to maintain most of the time the lowest case rate in the state of Florida out of all 67 wow. counties. Wow. So that, that's a huge deal. Because yeah. you can't say it's because you're the biggest county because that's not us. And you can't say it's because you're the smallest county because that's not us. I mean, we're a, in my mind, we're a full-fledged entry-level medium county yeah. <laughs> when it comes to population size. And we're a very diverse county. Yeah, so we have, we have a slightly higher percentage of seniors than most others, which means inherently we actually have a slightly higher risk community for COVID-19 because mm-hmm. it disproportionately impacted senior citizens. And it's, it's just amazing. And it, it's teamwork. It's our residents did the right thing. Our government, I believe, collectively, not just emergency, but it's a, it's a team thing. I think we got the right information out at the right time when we could. And our residents did, did they followed the science and did the right thing. And when vaccines became available, we hopped on that as fast as we could as well. And we were one of the first local governments in Florida. So not the first governments because the state and the federal government were starting to do those large vaccine clinics because they had the vaccine first. But we were one of the first local governments to do regular kind of a drive-through site and be up and running. You know, that there was a week where everyone else kind of started doing it. We were I when I was just looking at our timing and by just using local government resources, we kind of hit the ball a little sooner than some of them because we had that that same experience with doing the testing. You know on the testing side, back last spring, we realized that the federal government and state government who opened the first testing sites weren't going to come to our community. They were going to go to more populous communities. And I can't disagree with that logic. They have to do the most good and impact the most citizens. And then in some of our neighboring communities that did not get those federal or state sites, they also, a lot of some of the private sector partners stepped up, like in Volusia and St. John's, there were doctor's offices or health consortiums that stepped up and started offering testing. So we had to get into that testing business last spring. So the county, in partnership with the cities, we, we opened up a testing site at Daytona State College, Palm Coast Campus. Yeah. So again, so we had the and, and we learned as we went. There's, there's no playbook saying when a big disease comes, this is how you're going to go test the public. Right. There's theories, and we picked bits and pieces of all these different theoreticals and some past practices from smaller events in, in recent history, like the bird flu and, and that kind of stuff that happened within the last decade or so. Um, so, so we modeled that testing thing when it was time for us to get, when someone said, Hey, Flagler County, you're going to get vaccines. The health department, Bob Snyder from the health department called and said, Hey, Jonathan, we're getting vaccines. We got it the week after Christmas. We got enough to just do healthcare workers. We did a little test in the EOC. We set up one room and we did an experiment, did a little test to see how the process would flow. Mm-hmm. Again, using a little bit from the from previous diseases and also just pulling from a bunch of different theories. Again, that little afternoon test worked very well. So I think the following weekend we went, and, or maybe two weekends later, we got more vaccine. We went and did a first come, first serve drive up site for healthcare workers only, which also happened to be the week where the governor opened it up to other folks as well. So we focused on the healthcare workers. And then we, and that was again, first come, first serve. We had people from as far away as I think Tampa wow. and Miami, Fort Lauderdale coming up to our first come, first serve site. Wow. Yeah. A whole lot of people from Orlando because we share that same media market. So mm-hmm. we announced it, obviously they saw it. And then the following week, we got into the role of as vaccines became more and more available, going to an appointment-based system and and having people drive up to the fairgrounds. And then as we got through that big mass of people and vaccines continued to become more available, we opened we started doing our homebound people. Our paramedics went out to do homebound people. 
we were also, I think, one of the first communities to start doing that as well. And our, our fire department really stood up to, to do that with the paramedics because the health department got to focus on the mass site. And the fire department really stood up to, hey, we'll, we'll start going knocking on people's doors and who, who are homebound and have them call and make appointments and we'll go out and give them vaccines, which is very funny because we started that. And then about two to three weeks later, the state, we, we had daily calls with the state. As this as, as all COVID-19 happened, every day I was on, you know, on a call with the state of Florida, just mm-hmm. getting updates and stuff like that. The state said, hey, there's a, there's a huge unmet need in Florida. We really got to start doing homebound stuff. So we're going to start doing it. And then now, you know, and I was like, well, Black County, we got this. You don't need to come here. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, it was literally a little while later, the state realizes this, this untapped population that they hadn't gotten to. And we were like, yeah, we, we got them already. We're taking care of them. So yeah. it was great. Again, it was so many different partners. It's not something emergency management could have done on its own. It's not something the health department could have done on its own. We needed all of our partners, our cities, Advent Health, hundreds upon hundreds of community volunteers. Wow. A lot of the folks, especially retirees that didn't have to work during the day, a lot of the folks that came and got shots early on turned around and said, hey, I want to help with that process. Some of them are medical volunteers, could help, could help give shots. Other mm-hmm. ones were not medical volunteers that could help direct traffic, could help people fill out the paperwork at the vaccine site, could help answer phone calls in the emergency operations center for us. Oh, the, the volunteer is just fantastic. There was a time where I was getting tested just about once a week um, going to the airport site. Yep. They were doing, I don't know if they're still doing that, but I was getting, going there just constantly because I, I had um, – COVID in November. And I was one of those rare cases where even though it was completely out of my system, I did not have it anymore. You kept showing positive. I kept showing positive. Yeah. I couldn't go back to work for a little <laughs> while. So I was going there constantly. They were getting to know me, the volunteers, and um, all throughout until I finally got that negative. The, the volunteers were just fantastic. Now, the whole volunteer spirit in this community is actually one of the things that attracted me to this community when I started. When I looked at coming here three and a half, four years ago, yeah. and I applied for the job and uh, you know, Flagler County has this unique volunteer spirit. And I think a lot of it's because we have a lot of active seniors mm-hmm. that aren't working during the day and that are, are still spry and want to, you know, and agile and want to help our community. And that was one of the big things when I was deciding, you know, do I want to come work here after I got the job offer that really attracted me? It made me feel like where I grew up. I grew up in most the, probably the formidable years of my life in New Jersey, in a small town in New Jersey, mm-hmm. where I could walk down. Literally, we had a main street I could walk down. I was on the volunteer ambulance squad and fire department. I could, mm-hmm. I could, um, everyone, I knew 90% of the people in the town because I went to high school, a lot of the, yeah. you know, a lot of the policemen and firemen and all that stuff. Uh, so a piece of me, even though I worked in other places, missed that kind of feel, a little nostalgia. Yeah. Kind of, Flagler County has that feel. I mean, I wasn't here for Irma and Michael or Irma and Matthew, which directly impacted here. I came after those storms, but I knew a lot about Flagler because of my previous job working at the state and working in South Florida. I heard of Flagler and how the community got so involved. And it just that kind of, it, there was like something missing and that, that kind of filled that void that I really wanted to, you know, this, this community spirit that we have here is amazing. Well, that was actually my next question was how you, <laughs> how you wound up in the uh, emergency management position. I know you were, uh, you ascended to director in 2018, correct? Yes, that's when I, yeah, I came before that position. Yeah, but you were, yeah, you were in the department before that, right? No, 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 I was actually, no. I was, before that I actually spent about two years, give or take, as the deputy director for the state of Florida's uh, emergency oh, oh, okay, I yeah. must have read that article too, right, Ben? <laughs> and then before that, it was about 13 years in South Florida, primarily with Miami-Dade County, working my way up from entry-level emergency manager to a, to the, they call it division director mm-hmm. there, which is technically really a deputy director position. Right. And then before that, I had a career in emergency medical service. I've always been in public safety. 
and that emergency medical services career was in New Jersey. So speaking of which, we're coming to the beginning, or we're actually in yeah. hurricane season now. Yeah. So this this is your department. How many hurricanes are we going to have this year? Exact number. How many is it going to be? <laughs> Loaded question. <laughs> let's, let's go with the number Jonathan wants. I would like zero. <laughs> zero? I would tend to agree. I was thinking during COVID last year, it's like, how bad would this be if we just got walloped by a hurricane during all this? We got close. I mean, Isaias, if I pronounced that correctly, right. Isaias came and we were ready. We were ready to pull the trigger. We were ready to open shelters and activate, um, well, not activate the emergency operation center because we were already activated because of COVID. Mm-hmm. We were going to bring in additional staffing. And knock on wood, Isaias just, it didn't happen for us. And I, I, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with spinning the wheels and having everything ready and then telling everybody, eh, never mind, you can go home. Because it's better than the alternative. Yes, it's better than saying, darn, it hit us. So, you know. So if if we get a major hurricane this year, because now we're getting into it, how should someone decide whether or not they should hunker down at their home or whether they should evacuate to somewhere safer? So whether it's a major hurricane or any kind of hurricane, even if it's a tropical system, if it's something that emergency management, we decide and the county decides, hey, we need you all should be paying attention to this. We'll be very open to the public about that. We don't hide that ever. Mm-hmm. Um, we want people th- to then decide, you know, what am I doing? This approach is here. If I'm told to evacuate, what am I going to do? And I'll tell you right now, we're only going to tell people to evacuate if they live in one of our hurricane evacuation zones mm-hmm. or if they are in what we call non-site built homes. So manufactured homes or mobile homes. Right. So, so we have hurricane evacuation zones that are based on where storm surge, the water that comes in off of the ocean, or other bodies of water in a hurricane. So most of those are A, a through E, and they're based on distance away from the coast mm-hmm. and how the little bodies and streams flow inland from there. Right. And then we have one that's called F that's all the way up by Crescent Lake on the western side of the county, you know, abutting all the way up against Putnam County and following Crescent Lake and Dead Lake because that lake's big enough and it's impacted by ocean water because those lakes are connected to the St. John's River, which is connected to the ocean. The Saint John, You're not going to get ocean water to come that high, but the St. John's River can't empty Therefore, the lakes can't empty into the river. The lakes can overflow and head towards the kind of the Daytona North area community. So it's that that is very possible. We have a unique evacuation zone out there. A lot of folks don't necessarily have an inland evacuation zone like that, but we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also the counties are along the St. John's River directly have those kinds of zones. But the bigger, the biggest concerns for us are A, B, C, D, and E coming inland from the Atlantic coast, the intercoastal, and heading towards I-95. Those are the areas where ocean water could potentially come inland and flood homes. Okay. So that so we build our evacuation zones based on that. If you're not in A through E and you're not in F, and if you're not in a mobile home or a manufactured home, 99.9% of the time for a hurricane, we, unless you have a really old home that you know has some structural issues, you're going to be safe staying at home. Okay. We really want our residents to stay at home. And you can do things to make yourself safer at home. You can get hurricane shutters. You can get there's something called hurricane fabric you can put on over your windows that, that work just as well as shutters, but depending on the market are sometimes cheaper than the shutters. The metal market's very expensive and they're a hundred percent easier to put up than shutters because it's literally fabric. It's, you know, it's, huh, I've it's, never heard of that. It's close to, I call it bulletproof fabric, but it's not necessarily the same. Mm-hmm. It's the same logic. It, it impacts, it, it stops objects from coming through your window. Right. And it is, and it meets the same building code requirement um, as the hurricane shutters meet. Mm-hmm. If it's the appropriately approved hurricane fabric, and I'm, I'm and I, I'm calling it generic hurricane fabric because one of them is actually called hurricane fabric. It's a brand. It's oh, like okay. Xerox. People call you know photocopier, band aid. Yeah, same yeah, band aid. Same thing. So there's there's three or four different of those types of products out there that are approved 
by the floor in the Florida building code that meet the same, if they're installed properly by a licensed contractor, meet the same protection as old fashioned steel shutters. And now there's even clear shutters so your light comes through. Wow. So there's so many options out there. Um, so you can do those things to protect your home. So to make yourself feel even more comfortable. And again, most people's homes, their number one investment. It's, it may be their only investment when they invest hundreds of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. in your life. That's the that one thing. So I highly recommend people thinking about looking at your savings. What can I do to protect my home? What should people have on hand also, by the way? Like what are the essentials to have in like a, a prepare kit? Yeah, so so like people have a disaster supply kit. Floridians talk about hurricane kits that they get at the beginning of hurricane season, they get rid of it at the end of hurricane season, eat all their crackers and all that stuff. Yeah. Right? I, I want people to have a year-round disaster supply kit, but it's the same stuff you have in your hurricane kit, just don't get rid of it at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. The first thing is water. Um, if the water if our water system goes down, um, if you don't have municipal water and you're and you're on a well, if the electricity goes down. I want people to have water so they can, I want people to be able to stay in their home as long as it's not significantly damaged and safe to do so for a week straight and not have to rely on outside services. Mm-hmm. So we tell people to have a gallon of water per person per day in their house. So we say five to seven days you want, you'd have five, seven days worth of supplies. That's five to seven gallons per person in your household. If you have furry creatures as well, add another gallon per day for those creatures. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I expect you to drink a gallon of water. It's a lot of water to drink. Yeah. It's, 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 it does hygiene as well as hydrate you. I also want people to have, make sure that they have five to seven days worth of non-perishable food. And if you have unique dietary issues, make sure you have, you know, take that into consideration. You know, a lot of people say, well, non-perishable food is always super salty. There's a lot of people that can't have high salt foods because of you know, medical reasons. There's in today's world, there are a lot more things that are freeze dried and think, you know, that aren't high salt. You can find low sodium versions of those things. So don't let that be a barrier based on the past history. You can go to Publix, Walmart, whatever it is you want to go and find low sodium, non-perishable foods. Even soups are low sodium now. And it can. Those kinds of things, make sure you have that week's worth. Even simple things like clothing, you know, make sure you have a week's worth of clothes. If you can't do your laundry, do you have a week's worth of clean clothes at all times? Mm-hmm. And let's say right now you don't have a week's worth of clothes. You, that's not something you normally have because that's not in your budget. You know, there's always some point during the year where you're throwing out clothes because clothes either aren't fashionable, maybe they got a little snug because you gained out COVID 15 pounds, you know. Just 15. <laughs> Whatever that number might be. <laughs> uh, don't throw that out. Don't, if you're going to give it to Goodwill, I left on my older clothes, you know, I'll, I'll give it to Goodwill. Don't do that. Hold on to that extra clothes so you have seven days worth of clothes and then start giving it out. So it might be a little snug. It may not be the latest fashion anymore. Honestly, it's in a hurricane, who really cares if you're the latest fashion anymore? Have have seven days worth of clothes. Have seven same same logic when it comes to your to your um, your bedding. Have you know you're gonna throw out a pillow because it's not comfortable. Keep that as a backup pillow. Mm-hmm. Keep all these kinds of things in a waterproof, like in those super large plastic containers. Yeah, you know, keep all that stuff aside. Keep that older stuff instead of getting rid of it, so you have that emergency backup stuff. Also, medication super important. If you're on regular yeah. daily medications, get to a point where you're always refilling your medication seven days early. You may not be able to do that right away because a lot of times if you try to fill your medications too early, more than three days early, the pharmacy can say your insurance company says it's too soon. Mm-hmm. You know, fill it this month a couple days early, next month a couple days early, the following month, you know, a few days early. And then all of a sudden now you're at seven days early and you're always at the cycle of filling it seven days early. So if you have a hurricane, the stores, the pharmacies are closed, you're fine. You can make those seven days. You have your regular medications. Right. And then, and then entertainment. Non-electronic entertainment. We've gotten so Ooh. used to electronic entertainment. 
<laughs> yeah. You know, especially the children today, they can't look up. My son's just like the typical mm-hmm. child. They can't look up from an electronic device today. If you can't charge the device, they're not going to be able to play on it. Brutal. And you can't get your internet without the electricity, right? Mm-hmm. So have, have those old-fashioned games, those books, even for adults. Even the best, most disciplined adult gets a little punchy without something to take their mind off of stuff after about a week. You know, mm-hmm. So just make sure you have some old-school entertainment. Yeah. And then important information. A lot of us have gotten used to putting our important documents up in the cloud because everyone tells you, put it in the cloud. It's safer. Mm-hmm. If something happens, the cloud, it'll, it'll always be there in the cloud. If you can't access that cloud. You can't pull that stuff down. And, you know, we, we will lose cellular service in a disaster. I guarantee that. We will lose electricity in a disaster. So think about how do I access that stuff? Do I need to print out old and keep old-fashioned copies and put it in that same waterproof container of that information? And then everyone should just have a, a standard toolbox. You never know if you need to shut something off or in a disaster what you may need. You just don't be afraid of having that old standard toolbox as an aside. And then knowing how to turn off your utilities. Mm-hmm. You may not know now how to do that. But if a water line breaks, you know how to go shut off your water line from that from the water main in the front of your yard. Your side. There's a, there's a city side you can't touch, and then, then there's your side. Do you know where that shutoff valve is in your house? You can turn off the water main. Right. If you have that, if you're one of the few neighborhoods in our community that has natural gas lines, super important. Do you know how to turn off that natural gas line using a wrench? And then electric. Do you know how to turn off? If the electric's starting to flicker, if it's all the way off, it's off, right? Mm-hmm. Still go ahead and throw that breaker so you don't get you know, surges pattern down the line. If you, when your electric goes off in a hurricane and it's safe and it's, if it's, the winds haven't built up so high where it's not safe to come out of whatever room you've chosen to hunker down in your house in, go ahead and throw that breaker and turn it all the way off mm-hmm. until you know the power is back on clean again. Right. That way you're not getting any surges because those surges can do things like damage your appliances, damage your electronics, your TVs and stuff like that. And then super, if you can afford it, have a generator. It doesn't have to be a whole home generator, but have a small portable generator that can power things like maybe you want to power your fridge. Maybe you want to power a fan that if you don't have electric for a week or so. At least you can go to sleep and have a fan blowing on you. Oh gosh. Yeah. It's I, I, the, I think the moment, uh, the last hurricane that hit us, which I've already forgotten what it was called. The, the, the first, the moment they said there was a hurricane coming, I went to that fast pro outpost in Daytona <laughs> yeah. and I just got like two or three battery powered fans. Cause I'm one of those people where I cannot sleep if it's not 72 degrees, probably maximum 72, 73. And so if the house is going to be 88 degrees, I need a fan air. literally an inch away from my face. I'm the, same, I'm the same with you. I can deal with, in an emergency, I can deal with sleeping. If it's 80 something degrees and humid, I'm okay. As long as that air is moving on me. If yep. not, I will not get one second of sleep. Yep. But if same I exactly. But it's very simple. You can get a bat. There are desktop battery powered fans now that are much more efficient. The batteries are much better these days. Mm-hmm. That will last you all night running okay. with just enough breeze. Mm-hmm. And then you'll probably have to replace the batteries the next day. I get it, but they'll do that now. You know, yeah. Very simple battery power fans. Oh, yeah. You, you need them in a hurricane. But uh, So I also want to talk a little bit about wildfires. It's yes. type of disaster. So I have a little bit of experience with wildfires. I was a dispatcher for the Florida Florida Service for oh, about six months great. there. So yeah, I worked with some of those lovely people. Shout out uh, FFS. Still my fam over there. So um, where are the danger areas around here where people should be thinking about wildfires? Anywhere there are trees or a lot of dense brush, shoulder brush, is a wildfire risk when it is dry out. Mm-hmm. Now, as we're talking today, we don't really have a high risk of wildfire right now because so, we, we are pleasantly soaked. 
The smoking of arrow <laughs> arm is low on that sign right Correct. Now. It is. It is low. Almost non-existent chance. Mm-hmm. Nothing's impossible, of course. Of course. But we are truly soaked. I mean, if you just drive along our roads now, the sides of our streets, the lawns, the swales are soaking wet. Three weeks ago, that was not the case. We were getting super, super dry. And in general, historically, our winters are dry. Our winters into the spring are very, very dry. And we have a horrible history of wildfires in this community. Florida is a very wildfire-prone state in the first place. Mm -hmm. Even the Everglades, the river of of grass, that is, like I said, river, burns in the dry season. But that's part of the natural cycle. Now, so we we live here. This is a very natural-looking community. We have a lot of trees. We have a lot of green areas. One of the reasons probably many of us chose to live here, it doesn't look like Jacksonville, Orlando, or Miami. Mm-hmm. We like the fact that it looks a little bit like you're in the country without being in the country. Right, right. Here's the issue, though. You get those issues of living in a forest. We have these wonderful pine trees that make a couple of our cities use the, the moniker Shade Tree Cities and have awards for the trees and the shade, and yeah. which is great. It keeps our air conditioning bills down in the summer, right? Mm-hmm. However, nothing is perfect. Those trees burn super easily. Yeah, that tight brush that dries up in the winter burns super easily. Mm-hmm. So wildfire is a risk for us year round, but in the in the winter it becomes a much higher risk because we can, as you as we all know, live here, we can go months with neg- negligible rain, mm-hmm. and it just makes that ground drier and drier, and the trees drier and drier, and they're made to get dry. Yeah. They and they rebound. Right now they are sucking, soaking up all that water, right? But the issue is when they are dry, it makes them much more at risk for catching fire. And the fire will jump from tree to tree to tree, as we've seen in the past and past decades here. We've seen very large wildfires. This year, we've had small wildfires within the last month. We had a couple small wildfires happen right off of I-95. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a couple have happened on the western side of the county as well. Just little pop-up ones. But they happen. They, they, all of those had happened right after storms have passed through. So lightning can set them off. Just because it's rained and a storm passed through doesn't mean, ah, it just rained. Wildfires don't happen. Mm-hmm. They will happen. Oh, yeah. But we have a, we have amazing fire departments here, which includes the Forestry Fire Service, which we are lucky. One of their district offices, as you, as you know, is based right here in Bunnell. So yeah. one of their Florida regions or districts is here. It's in our county. Mm-hmm. With, with, they have amazing tools and amazing fire pers- personnel that help that can help fight wildfires. Yeah. But we also have three amazing fire departments. We have a county fire department. Um, the city of Palm Coast has a fire department. The city of Flagler Beach have a fire department. They all work together as amazing teams. And they don't care where the fires are. They don't care that, oh, the fire is in the city, so the county won't come. The fire is in the, in the unincorporated county, so the city won't come. They don't care any of those things. The nearest fire trucks go, and as we need more trucks, they show up. And we have something very unique for a community our size, too. We have the Fire Flight Helicopter. Right. That's been around for a couple of decades now. And that helicopter was specifically bought because of our severe wildfire history. Mm-hmm. It also does medical transportation. also helps the sheriff's office looking for fugitives and stuff like that. But its primary goal was to help fight wildfires. Mm-hmm. So, but so, so while we have those amazing departments, our residents and our businesses also can help fight them by not having that brush close to your home, by maintaining those trees. You know, the, one of the things the Forest Service always talks about is making sure that you don't have brush within thirty feet of your home. You can have some very short certain thing, trees and 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 uh, plants that grow and kind of stay moist near your home, mm-hmm. but keep it, keeping that, they call it defensible space, using their terminology, at least 30 feet away from your home. It's super important. So if those things do catch on fire, your, fun, your home is in a much better chance of not catching fire as, as well. 
So, so there's things our residents can do to stop those fires from even threatening our properties in the first place. So what do I do if I'm not, if say I'm at my house and there's a vacant lot next to it, which unfortunately there no longer is bummer, but say there is a vacant lot and there's a bunch of uh, fuel for wildfire in there. And say, and by fuel I mean like brush and stuff. Right. I just slip back into forestry <laughs> exactly jargon again. But um, yeah, say say uh, there's a wildfire in a vacant lot next to me. What do I do here? How how do I respond to keep myself, maybe family, and that safe? So super duper important is remember it's not your property, so you can't just go over there and do it mm-hmm. and take care of it. What I would recommend first off is try to contact the owner. Mm-hmm. It's not hard to find out who the owner is. You can go on the property appraiser's website and enter your address and then just move the little map that pops up one lot over and click on it. It'll tell you who, who owns it. Mm-hmm. And maybe through just amateur sleuthing on Google, yeah. things like that, you may be able to find who that owner is. Very, very, very possible. And, and then, you know, th- that's my advice of being neighborly. Try to just contact that person directly you know, yourselves. And if it starts spreading toward maybe, you know, our house or anything, what, what happens there? Now, if, if, if the brush is on your property, that's yours to trim. You can go ahead and trim that, and I highly recommend it. Don't go, well, it's starting on my neighbor's lawn. They have to come. No, if it's on your lawn and these little bushes are growing and they're creeping into your property, mm-hmm. that that's your property. You need to take care of your property. Mm-hmm. You know, I say step one, try to be neighborly, find that, that property owner. If you can't track that person down, just contact your city. Each mm-hmm. of our cities or contact the county you live in the unincorporated area and just let them know. You know, our our government personnel, we don't have thousands upon thousands of government employees in, in our community. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's why our taxes are lower than many other communities. We don't have that. So they don't know where all these issues are all the time. So you can yeah. contact your city or the county if you're unincorporated and say, listen, I live next to this vacant lot. And over the last few months, I just see it getting worse and worse and worse. I did try to find the owner. I, I don't know how to find the owner. Yeah. So they can do further digging. They have access to that kind of stuff. They can come out and look at it and see if it's a code issue. Um, but yeah, if it's, if the brush is starting to outgrow onto your property, it's when it's growing, if it's starting to grow roots on your lawn, on your property, take care of it. You know, that's not yeah. what you want in your lawn. So who do you call if you think, if you see a column of smoke or if you see a fire that might either already be or have the potential to become a serious wildfire? Very easy. If you see any kind of fire that's not being tended to already. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're out on the Western side of the county, people burn uh, brush as you would call fuel, yeah. right? They burn brush all the time and they're allowed to, they can pull permits and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So you'll, and you'll see that person, you'll see them tending the fire. They can't walk away from it. It cannot be un, unattended. Right. So if you see a fire that is unattended, no ifs, ands, or buts, don't even think twice, call 911. Now in worst case scenario, you'll call 911. They'll go out and investigate it. The first engine, fire engine that arrives, will go out and investigate it. And dispatch will know up. There was a burn permit and the person just happened to go, who knows? Mm-hmm. You just didn't see them because they were behind a tree and you didn't notice they were there. Go to the bathroom. Yeah. No harm, no foul. Mm-hmm. And it's they're okay doing it. The fire department has no problem going out and checking on it. If and saying, never mind, it was no issue. But they may go out there and find out it was an illegal, unpermitted burn, which is an issue because it needs to be put out. Or they may go find out that it was an actual fire, wildfire that nobody started and lightning started or someone unfortunately flicked a cigarette. Happens all the time in Florida, unfortunately. People flick cigarette butts out the window. And yeah. our drier weather... That little cigarette butt smolders on the side of the road, catches a really small twig on fire because it's super dry. Yeah. And the grass is on fire. There was one in the the median on 100 about a month and a half, two months ago. Just slowly smoldering away. Remember that? Yep. I drove right by it as it happened. And I'm like, what? Like the median's on fire? And that, that, unfortunately, when it is dry, when when your grass dries, you know, a lot of us have that St. Augustine grass, probably the most common grass in this county, right? Yep. Yep. You all know that turns brown at a point if you're not watering it in the dry season. Oh, yeah. 
I guarantee that stuff will catch on fire real fast. If you have a bin flipped over on it for a couple of yep. weeks, it, you, it you pick it up, there's like a, a brown rectangle in your lawn. Yep. Grass, oddly enough, grass will catch on fire. And that little fire can go to the nearest bush. That the next bush can catch a tree on fire or catch your house on fire. So huge, huge issues. A simple little mm-hmm. thing, like you're done smoking. You don't want to put it in your ashtray. Most cars don't come with ashtrays anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. think. Uh, uh-huh. And you're like, I don't. I can't put it in my car. That little cigarette butt has started so many wildfires. That it's, mm-hmm. it's probably. And then same thing, if you're camping, if, if people go out in the woods and you start a little campfire, even in your own backyard, if you're in one of the more wooded areas, little backyard fires can become wildfires as well. Just So just having, if you're going to do, I'm not saying don't have a campfire. If, if you're somewhere where a campfire is allowed, have it. But make sure you have the bucket of sand or that bucket of water, whatever it is you're supposed to have um, based on wherever you are and its rules right there next to you. So you can put it out within a second if you had to. Now I am, I do have a concern about the emergency department. Sure. Why does it feel like I never hear about blizzards, avalanches, and uh, landslides? Yeah, we're probably not doing our job there, right? <laughs> <laughs> Knock on wood. It's something that probably attracted every single one of us to Florida, including me who grew up further north, right? Much further north. Um, that's one of the things we're lucky. We don't have mountains, so we can't have an avalanche. There you go. I will not say we'll never have a blizzard because you just never know. Florida can, Florida can get snow. You know, my, my father tells me a story. He lived in Cocoa Beach in the 70s, and he remembers seeing snow one day. That's even further south of here. Yep. So Florida can get Florida can get snow. I don't know that it get a significant amount of snow. Mm-hmm. Actually, the day before I moved here, um, back in the at the end, the very beginning of 2018, might have been the very end of 70. I can't remember for sure what mm-hmm. day we actually pulled the trigger and started driving from from Tallahassee. That day before, as our house was full of boxes waiting for the moving van, it snowed in Tallahassee. No kidding. Yep. Wow. So again, I'm not the huge fan of snow because I grew up with it and. I'm okay watching it on television. Right, right. My wife loves the snow and loves the idea of seasons. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll differ on that opinion. Yeah. But I'm okay not shoveling snow ever again. Mm-hmm. So I will not tell you that a blizzard's impossible. Mm-hmm. It is extremely unlikely in our community. Yeah. And, and again, but it doesn't, even if we don't talk about blizzards, we don't talk about tsunamis a ton either, but we, I do mention them every now and then. Tsunamis are very possible. We don't have, you know, we... We have a mountain range across the Atlantic Ocean, the Canary Islands, which are volcanic mountains. Mm-hmm. At some point in Earth's history, I'm sure they will collapse into the ocean, and they have a chance of sending a tsunami wall across the ocean and right to our coastline. So it's not impossible. And we could also have an earthquake in the middle of the Atlantic, so that's possible as well. Yeah. We don't talk about them ton, a ton. However, it doesn't mean our community is not ready for it. Mm-hmm. Because the same principles that we talk about with hurricanes having a plan to stay, for lack of a better term, off the grid, as they say today, with no electricity and no water. Those other disasters would, can potentially cause those same things. But if you're able to hunker down at home and always have that disaster kit year-round, it doesn't matter. Wow. But I, I would like to think there's a super good chance that I can stake my career on and we were not going to have a crazy blizzard. Wow. Well, that's uh, <laughs> good, good, good for peace of mind. I wouldn't mind a little bit of snow because I've lived in two places in my life, uh, Central Florida and Southern California. So I've, I, can count, not a thing. I can count on one hand how many times I've seen snow. So, yeah, I wouldn't mind maybe a little, a little flurry now and then. But, uh, yeah, good, good to know that we're not only unlikely to get a blizzard, but we're actually relatively prepared if we yeah. do. And these days, it seems we're kind of unlikely to even get freezes anymore, you know? Yeah. It with, like with climate that. warming, it seems less likely. Though, know, I'll admit that same winter, that first winter I was here, which was 2018, mm-hmm. in January or February, we had a freeze. My lawn all died one night. 
That was a legendary winter. <laughs> if that's the one I'm thinking, the one where it was like, usually our winter is like, you get two weeks out of December and one week in January yeah. and that's it. That one went like September to April. It was amazing. Super dry and much colder than, than normal. Yeah. And I am a winter person. I do not like the heat and humidity personally. So I was just in that's my, like, in my <laughs> element for that. Oh, I'm the opposite. I love the warm weather. I'm okay to never see freezes. Those yeah. few mornings when we get up when it's just cool enough for that ice to form on your windshield, which does happen every winter here still. Oh, yeah. You know, those are the days I'm like, oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. I keep the old CD case that came with my car for those mornings. I think it's like some like pink CD from the early 2000s that I'm never going to play. Totally not <laughs> played it or anything. Of course but I, I keep that just on hand ready to scrape that ice off. Yeah. And then when I find when it gathers at the bottom, it's like, oh, this is snow. No, on our, our Western communities, more so than the Eastern side of the county, We'll get those once or twice a year frost mornings. That, 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 that happens. Wow. Yeah. So it, it, it just the conditions are just right and the winds are just right and it's just dry enough. Mm-hmm. But we will get that odd frost one. Like I said, any kind of accumulation of snow is pretty rare. Yeah. It's going to happen here. But nothing's impossible. Well, there you go. So, final note how can residents of Flagler County maybe volunteer or get involved to help with disaster preparedness and/or response? That's actually, that's a great question. Again, we're a department of only five, mm-hmm. myself included. So we're a little tiny county department, which I'm, a, which is okay. You know, um, would I love to have a couple more people? Sure. But you know, it's over time, you know, as a community grows, I'm sure we'll need to grow a little bit too. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we can do a great job is because of all of our partnerships. Some of those partnerships are with other government employees and nonprofit groups, but a huge part of those partnerships are our volunteers. And we actually have a webpage, flagbergcounty.org slash emergency. On that page is actually a link to how to volunteer with us. Mm-hmm. So we have regular volunteers, and our regular volunteers have to serve at least 16 hours a month that help support us in the emergency operations center. Mm-hmm. From something as simple as sitting at a front desk and answering phone calls to other volunteers that help us maintain our equipment. Um, and then on top of that, we have a community-wide volunteer program, which aren't necessarily tied to serving time in the EOC, and where we ask people to come take a class called CERT, C-E-R-T, which is our Community Emergency Response Team class. It's a national standard class that we slightly customize to make it very Flagler centric. We teach it in partnership with Flagler Volunteer Services, which is a nonprofit group that does a lot of volunteer organizing in our community and in partnership with the fire department. We teach people disaster skill, preparedness skills, basic search and rescue, um, basic first aid, basic fire safety, you've got to put out a fire, basic fire safety. But the idea is it's a 30 hour class, give or take 30 hour class. Um, we just finished one a couple months ago or a month or so ago, graduated. It was an evening class. Our next class will be an evening class in the fall. It's on the website. It's the same website I mentioned, flybrookcounty.org slash emergency. Click on volunteer and training, and you'll see how to sign up for the next class. And then in the winter, coming up in January, we're actually going to do a daytime class. We've had a lot of folks ask, say, hey, I'm a retiree, so I'm available during the day. So we, have enough, so we believe there's enough demand to do a daytime class, not just an evening class. So great class. We encourage people to sign up, whether you're able-bodied or not. You can get something out of that class. You don't have to get to the search and rescue side of it. You get taught it, but you don't have to use it if that's not something that your body says, I'm going to go search for people anymore. Mm-hmm. We encourage folks to take that because that way you can help serve our, your community in a disaster. Big disaster strikes. We only have so many firemen. We only have so many paramedics. We only have so many police officers. So when you have these basic skills, you can help your neighborhood. If people have small issues in your neighborhood after a hurricane passes through, some other disaster passes through, until those first responders can get to your community, you'll be able to help your neighbors, be able to help stabilize somebody that has an injury. 
you'd be able to help recognize that a structure is safe or not safe to go in. You know, you'll be given those basic skills so you can be kind of that temporary responder in your neighborhood, neighbors helping neighbors. Mm -hmm. And then we're, and then the same token, we may need volunteers for some, some event somewhere or, or a certain purpose in a disaster. And we'll tap into those certain trained volunteers to help us serve at a point of distribution. For example, we're giving out food and water. We'll reach out to that same group of volunteers. Many of those people took the CERT training, helped out at the vaccination sites and the testing sites with things like traffic control you mentioned earlier. So we tap into that group. That training is free. It will always be free. It's super important that we keep it that way. So because in my utopian world, every resident in Flagler County would take it just for the heck of it. Yeah. It's knowledge. It's never bad to have knowledge. All right. Well, very good. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on. Hopefully we don't get any hurricanes this year. Fingers crossed. Yep, but everybody knows all this wonderful information just in case. All right, and hopefully no wildfires also. Yes. But, yep, absolutely. Jonathan Lord, uh, Flyover County Emergency Management Director, has been the first interview on the weekly edition of Talk Flagler. Thank you guys for listening, and any final thoughts? No, thank you, and if... If you, if you are fond of the internet, please visit our website at www.flagrecounty.org slash emergency. We have all kinds of great preparedness tips and information on there. That same website, when a disaster happens, will have the latest sheltering and evacuation information on there. And if the internet is not your friend, <clears throat> other than someone let you listen to this podcast and show you how to do it on the internet, you can always call us, 386-313-4200. We can help you sign up for our notification system if you can't do it through the internet. We have a great system that allows you to get emergency notifications. Um, you can find it on the same webpage, or you can just give us a call. Or we can mail you out a disaster preparedness guide. We have a nice little glossy guide we put together in partnership with our cities and the sheriff's office and the health department. And we can mail one out to you, or you can pick one up at some of the, the grocery stores, but all of the government buildings that are generally open to the public, like the library, city halls, town halls, all have those guides available for you to pick up. All right, Jonathan, thanks a bunch. Thank you.